children are going to stay in with us today on this fifth Sunday for family worship today. So as they're coming down and Miss Terry's playing, if you want to go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of 3rd John. John, John, Jude, Revelation. So just near the very end of your Bible, we'll be looking at 3rd John. Hey, I was talking with Miss Terry earlier. Um, I was thinking about this old song that used to be one that was very special to me through the years and and it always helped me remember the seriousness of the moment when I came to enter into a time of corporate worship because I, I'm a firm believer in private worship, personal worship. I'm a firm believer that you need to worship privately and personally with God and like Adrian Rogers used to say, as a Christian, you don't come to worship, you bring your worship with you, amen? And when you bring your worship with you, you realize that you're kind of like Moses. You feel like when you get to the corporate worship, you're standing at the burning bush. You need to take your shoes off where you're standing is holy ground, amen? Donald Gray Barnhouse said this to preachers years ago. He said, for a preacher to ever expect to be a thunder in the court of Pharaoh, he must first find himself barefooted at the burning bush. And I want to thank God for all those times in my journey that he's allowed me to literally be barefooted at the burning bush. Personal, private worship to stand on holy ground. But I'm also thankful for those times that I've been able to gather with the family of God. I don't ever want to take one of these gatherings for granted. 2020 ought to taught us that. I don't want to ever take for granted that God lets me come and or I gotta go. I thank God I get to go. But I think it'd do us good just to think about where we are for a little bit before we read the Word of God. Just think about the wonderful privilege that God has given us to be able to come corporately together with a bunch of imperfect people. You know, a lot of people won't come to church today because they point fingers at the imperfections of Christians. Well, i just tell you today, if that's the reason, I, I'm a good target because I'm as imperfect as anybody in this building. But I want you to know, whatever imperfections you have, I, I'm here today to declare the Holy Word of God that the Holy Spirit can help you today bring it to Jesus and go away clean go away free of guilt and shame and go away a child of the most high God living in the victory that he came to give you you know the, the chorus of this song we're going to sing together in just a minute but let me just say the words of the first verse to you it says when I walked through the door I sensed his presence and I knew this was a place where love abides this is the temple Jehovah God abides here we are standing in his presence on holy ground. Tina's going to put these words up. Won't you stand with me, Terry, as you play? I, you know what? I'm going to be the song leader for a second. Are you, are you, are you, I'm going to be the song leader for a second, all right? I know y'all are excited, right? But think about those things, just the chorus, okay? Sing with me. We are standing. Oh, think about it. On holy ground. I know that when 
seated I I got something to say amen amen I know I met a, a lot of preachers that tell me so I don't know I don't know I have a lot today I I don't know how I'm gonna stand up there that long and I come in here on Sundays thinking dear God you've loaded my barrel so heavy how can I get it all in and uh that just means so much to me here's what the word of God says third John verse one the Bible says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you'd speak mildly to our hearts together today. And God, I pray we'd never forget the ground we're standing on. 
And we pray that the Son of God will be glorified through the preaching of the gospel today and through the transformation of lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we read through these words, and we'll catch the rest of it on the way, I just wanted to read a portion to get us started this morning. We're taking our journey through 3rd John together, and as we do this, we are reminded that 3rd John along with 2nd John are referred to as the twin epistles. Now there are some reasons for that. Some of the reasons are there are some very clear similarities. If you read both of them together, I can give you a page long of similarities, but as you read them together, you'll notice them, and you'll notice also that the structure of the letter is very similar, yet there are also some very unique differences that I want to help make known to us today. As I told you in the welcome today, 3 John is the shortest book in the whole canon of Scripture. It is only 219 words in the original Greek text, and both of them less than 300 and it's also the most personal of all of John's letters. Remember, he's the author of five books of the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation. But this is the most personal of all of his letters. And like 2nd John, there is an emphasis on a believer's duty to show love and hospitality within the bounds of faithfulness to the truth. And we talked about absolute truth last week, that it does exist regardless of what the media tells you, regardless of what the government or, or your meemaw, your people, whatever, regardless of what anybody tells you, absolute truth does exist. There are clear boundaries of right and wrong in the Word of God that is our rule book and guide for life. But as he writes this letter, he talks much about the truth. And in 2 John, we notice that it was addressed to an unnamed lady. Talked about her and her family and her children. But 3 John is addressed to a male, not a female, and his name is Gaius. He is a man who was known personally by the Apostle John, and it is very clear that he has much affection for this brother. He addresses Gaius along with two other men in the church, and he describes their testimonies which reveal their true character. See, the character of these men were having was very impactful on their personal reputations as well as the reputation of the church as a whole and the local church within which they worshiped and served. I like what Danny Aiken said about reputation. He said this. He said, your reputation is the estimation or evaluation of others that they have of your character, integrity, and standing as a person. It may be good or bad, positive or negative, but be assured of this, we all have a reputation. People will watch you and they will talk about you. Amen? If you say, well, nobody's talking about me, come down front, accept a call to the gospel ministry, and I promise you, within a matter of minutes, people will begin talking about you. Amen? It's okay. It used to break my heart. It used to, a lot of Sundays, I'd go home. I've, I've cried a lot of tears on Sundays. I've quit a lot of Mondays. And, and God smacked me upside the head and said, you can't quit. I done enlisted you. But I, I've wanted to quit a lot of times because of that. But people gone talk, okay? He goes on to say this. <clears throat> 
He said, you can be assured that we have this reputation. People will talk about you. You can count on it. You cannot escape or lose your reputation. It precedes you, goes with you, and follows you all of your life and beyond. That's a good word from Dr. Aiken. So as the battle raged in the first century, in the days of John, there was a battle raging for the upholding of the truth. While they continued to demonstrate unconditional love to people, that battle still rages today, doesn't it? If you stand for truth in our culture, some people will label you as a hater or a judger. I, I get so tired of people saying, don't judge me. We don't have to because the word of God does that, but we have to make judgments in this world. You cannot raise children and say, whatever you do, what anybody does, don't ever have a standard, don't ever have any stand for anything, just go with the flow and don't judge anybody because if you judge people, you won't have any friends. Friend, I want you to know we didn't come here today to judge your salvation. That is the work of God himself. But what we have come here today to do is say to you as the body of Christ, let's live in a way that demonstrates the lifestyle characteristics and qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be faithful to the word of God. Let's shine the light on the gospel and let's shine the light on Jesus Christ so that people can tr truly and clearly see that we have been changed and we're not imposters. We are the real deal. Amen? So there's a lot of things we must see with that. So as we look together today in the words of 3 John, we will notice how God's word addressed the difficulties that were present in the first century church, and here's what will help us today. It'll help us better address the difficulties we face inside and outside the church in the 21st century because everything the devil had, he threw at the first century church. Every tactic, every bit of the artillery of hell, he assaulted the first century church. He's doing the same things in this century. He's just warming them over. They're no different than what he poured on the church in the beginning. So as we walk through this epistle together, I want you to notice a few things with me as we look at these portraits of these men that are addressed by the Apostle John. The first thing I want you to notice is he gives us a picture of a living manifestation of the truth in verses 1 through 8. He begins with his customary greeting, but he refers to Gaius three times in this section as beloved. I want you to know that's very important. Because in the original Greek language, that word is used frequently in the New Testament, but it is a term of tremendous and great affection. It is more than just a passing relationship. This is somebody that really mattered to John. John also emphasizes the truth again, just as he did in 2 John. He mentions it five times in this section, and he begins to pray for Gaius. And when he does, <coughs> excuse me, I want you to notice what he prays for. He prays for his physical health and he prays for his spiritual progress. He declares that there is a report of the spiritual children from his place that are walking in truth and that has brought great joy to his heart. When we look at this man, I want you to notice three things about him. The first thing we notice is that he is described as an empathizer. Look at verse 5. And now I plead, excuse me, verse 5, he says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for 
strangers. He regards him as an empathizer. Here's what John is saying. This man is in the battle with you. This man is in the battle with the Lord. This man is down there with the people in the church who are struggling and he's willing to help people beyond the church who are struggling. He is someone who sees their needs and works to meet their needs. Isn't that good? This is a man who has a testimony of being an empathizer, but I want you to notice something else about him. Notice verse 6 and 7. He's not just an empathizer, but he is an equipper. The Bible says this about him. You've borne witness of your love before the church. Would that be something that your testimony would be so clear that when your days are over, when people are asked to describe you or even while you're still living, that that person was one who had a testimony of love before the church? He goes on to say this, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. He is saying to them, listen here, he's not just one who empathizes with their needs. He's not just one who is with them in the journey in the battle. He is one who is giving them the tools and the equipment necessary to carry out the mission of spreading the gospel. Amen? Isn't that important? I believe that's one of the great things the church must do and the church must do in this hour more than any before, that we would equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But you know what? Sometimes many saints, the reason they're not equipped, here's one of the one reasons they're not equipped, they don't show up enough. Amen. They don't show up enough. I don't know about y'all, but there was one thing my grandmother always did. She always had something to eat at her house. And y'all like, you look like you've been there a time or two. Oh, I did. And I will never forget that she always had a pot of beans and she always had fresh cornbread. Now that makes fat boy smile on Sunday if anything else does. And I can remember no matter what time of day or evening, morning, noon, night, and no matter if you were by her house, she would say, you look hungry. And I'm like, I was born that way, amen? But I can remember so many times just, you know, out of the blue, and you go, and there was always beans and cornbread, and she'd always want to fix you something else. And most of the time, she had a peach cobbler somewhere. Glory to God, amen? Now, I didn't go by my grandmother's for the peach cobbler, even though that was a good benefit. I didn't go there. To, I went there because she was there, and I wanted to see her, and I wanted to talk to her, and I just took all the love. But you know one thing? If I had never went to her house, I'd have never ate her food. I'm going somewhere if y'all stay with me, amen? But see, what attracted me was not the presence of all the benefits. What attracted me was my relationship with my grandmother. Anybody with me? See, what ought to attract you to worship God and show up at the house of God is your relationship with God. And guess what? When you show up, he shows up. And when you meet with him, he meets with you. And he gives you all the benefits that come from hearing and absorbing and embracing and fleshing out his word. Oh, listen to me, sheep. If you want to grow, you got to come to the feeding time. I ask the Lord, please not make me say that today. 
If y'all ever do that, Marty, you ever do that? You don't, you're a music guy. <laughs> y'all get to do stuff while people are smiling. I'll say of the Lord, you are my shield, oh glory. You are my strength. You are my fortress. And the preacher comes up, hey! You need to get to the house of God and worship God. People, get your heart right with God. And he's like, I don't know who you're talking to, but he ain't talking to me. <laughs> oh, y'all loosen up a little bit, amen? Y'all a little tight, ain't you? My Tennessee introduction got y'all all uptight. Now, Steve would tell you, that poor group from Tennessee that was with us in Utah, we were... We, I was relentless on them. Y'all are nice, but no, we. No, you gotta be. You gotta be. A, if you want to be equipped, you, you gotta. I was thinking about this week. I was down working in the conference room and using our dry erase board and filling in all of our blanks for our service opportunities this week. People who were going to be serving at different schools, make sure we had everything covered. And I just sat down at the table. And tears began to come down my cheeks because I was so thankful. And, and my mind went back 46 years ago. 46 years ago this fall, and I know kids, I don't look nowhere near old enough to be this, okay? But 46 years ago this fall, I walked in that room for the very first time. I can remember walking in that little kindergarten. That's where I went to kindergarten, right there. That's where it was equipping some saints right there, okay? okay. And I went into kindergarten. My daddy worked the night shift then, so he was responsible for taking me. It's a wonder I ever got there. But he uh, took me up to the desk, and Miss Sybil Hughes was standing there, you know, all friendly, proper in her hair, just fixed so, so. And I remember she looked at me, you know, and there wasn't none of this crying. I don't want to I was glad to go. But anyhow, yeah, this is Brent. That was it, buddy. And, and she was like, well, hello, Brent. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> I never thought 46 years ago, Ted's mama was right across the hall there. She was welcoming her band of bandits. <laughs> I never thought, and I bet my kindergarten teacher never thought that 46 years later, <laughs> that little kid who had his shirt button wrong and his hair halfway because I dressed myself. I never forget. I heard Miss Justice went home to be with the Lord last week. She taught our music, Miss Nevlin Justice. I love her so much. I never forget one morning she looked at me and said, Brent, who dressed you this morning? <laughs> and I said, Well, Miss Justice, I said, I did. She said, It looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> See, back then, guys, they didn't worry about developing your psyche, there was a lot of honesty in those days. I never forgot, I sat there and I said, but God, thank you so much because I can remember 46 years ago, there was, we were learning to write ABCs and we were learning these different things and, and I remember these different, all these different things we learned and we built and, we, and I thought to myself, but God, right here, now this same room can be used to help plan and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, that's what Gaius was doing. Gaius was down there empathizing with the people. He says, I know your struggles. I'm here with you. I want to help you. Please let me help you. But while we're doing it, let me give you some tools for the journey. Oh, God, help us. There's something else he was. He was an encourager. Look at verse 8. We therefore ought to receive such 
that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Do you know what he was saying? We want to be teamed up with guys like you. There's nothing better. If you've ever been a part of team sports, there's nothing better than a good teammate, is it? Some of your best teammates won't be your greatest athletes. They don't have to be the greatest athletes, but a teammate who's there, who empathizes with you, who's getting equipped with you, and who comes along beside you and is a Barnabas who encourages you. I was thinking about this past week. I said this on Wednesday night. I had a friend of mine who was a lifeguard one time, and he told me about all the training he had to do about becoming a lifeguard and how he had to do all these different drills and do all these different swims and times. And, th- and, and part of the hardest part of the training was when they'd have to go to the bottom of the pool and rescue someone who had uh, sunk down there, you know. So they were having to do that. And they would have certain ones that would do like some people do when you're rescuing them. Some people who are drowning don't realize they're being rescued, so they start to fight against the rescuer. And if you're not careful and you're not skilled how to handle that situation, what will happen is, is that person who is drowning will cause both of them to drown. I've never been a lifeguard, but I know what that's like in a spiritual sense. I've had so many times in ministry where some people realized they were drowning and they were calling for help. I've had others who had no idea they were drowning, but everybody else did. People that loved them did. People that cared about them. And they'd say, preacher, you got to help us. My brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, whoever it might be, my grandson, granddaughter, they're, they're drowning in their sin. They're drowning in these uh, temptations. And preacher, we, we need you to come help them get out. There have been many times By God's grace, I've been able to go into that ditch and in that gutter and into that deep water and I've been able to help people see where they're headed and see where they're going and see them radically turn to Jesus Christ and see their life change for eternity. But can I tell you, there have been many other times where I've went into that ditch even when they were crying for help and go into that ditch and say, okay, I'm here to help you, but the way you're going to have to get help is you're going to have to repent. Well, you're going to have to agree with God about where you are. That's what repent means. You agree with God about your sin. Not what they tell you on the TV or the media or anybody else's watered-down version of acceptance and tolerance. I'm talking about agreeing with God about the gravity of your sin. And when you do that and you repent and you ask forgiveness and you change directions, God will get you out of this. It's come on. That's all you got to do is repent. I don't want to do that. You know what? They would spiritually wrap their arms around my neck and try to pull me down there with them. You know, the hardest thing to do is when somebody's in the pig pen and they won't let you get them out. The prodigal son's daddy couldn't get him out. He didn't go get in the pig pen with him. The only way he got out of the pig pen was he came to himself And he said, wait a minute. 
How many hired servants at my daddy's house? They've got a bed to sleep in, food to eat. They've got, they've got comfortable stuff. They work hard. But look, even the hired servants are treated better than me. You know what I do? I will arise and I will go to my father's house. He could not get any help until he was willing to go back to his father. Oh, church, hear me. What we need today in the body of Christ is people who are coming alongside those who are helping and hurting and saying, I can show you the way. I can help you. But listen to me, friend. None of us have the ability to transform one life. But we do have the responsibility to point them to the one who can. To God be the glory for the great encourager that Gaius was. Well, we got to move on. we got to hurry. Not only a living manifestation of truth, but there was also a living misrepresentation of the truth. Notice verse 9. I wrote to the church by Diotrephes who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. Hmm. Now wait a minute. We just flipped the page here, Marty. Stay with me now, okay? You've got your Bible on your phone? That's awesome. That's awesome. Just check. You ain't looking at Facebook, are you? You doing chat snap? Okay, just check. Okay. Graham Insta or something like that? Okay, you're good, Marty. I'm just messing with you. I am honest. I did want to see if he was looking at Facebook. <laughs> I could, brother. Hey, look. One verse ago, we're talking about a guy who is an empathizer, an equipper, an encourager. He's the teammate you want. He's the guy who's bringing to the team. He's adding life. He's not draining everybody and sucking the life out of everybody. He is bringing life. He is bringing his best game. He is, man, he, he's our MVP. Now we go one verse over and we've got a, instead of a, instead of a uh, living manifestation, we've got a living misrepresentation. Let's talk about him. Three things I want you to notice about him. Verse 9, he was a domineering member. I don't know how this ever got started. And I don't know how anybody that loves Jesus and walks with God and is filled with the Spirit of God could ever be like this. And I'll just tell you, if you're like this, you're not full of the Spirit. Because if you were, he'd have done kicked all this out of your heart. But I have heard so much over my 30 years of ministry. Hey, you got to know this church and that church. Uh, you need to know who the power players are. Wow. I only, only time I ever heard power play is when my daughter and my son-in-law took me to a hockey game. You know, it's a Huntsville Havoc power play. And I said, what is that? He said, that means they got five on four. Or the other team's down one and it's a good chance to score. And I'm like... I don't know about hockey that much, but I do know this. I like to go for the intensity. I like that. When they hit the glass, I like to be down there on the glass. It's a great stress reliever. Y'all try it sometimes. <laughs> but they're all into it. But there are folks today who think that their calling from heaven is to be a power player down at the church. That's the kind of guy this was. And notice what he was. He wanted the preeminence. And, and here's what that really means. He wanted to be more important than Jesus in the church. When I think about the word preeminence and I think about the manifestations of where Jesus was preeminent, I think about what happened in Mark chapter 2 when the four men let their paralytic buddy down through the roof. Remember that story? When they began to get notice of what was going on, their buddy was sick, they didn't know what to do. Here's what the scripture says. It said it was noised about that Jesus was in the house. 
I don't know about y'all, but I get fired up about that thing. Jesus is in the house, right? <laughs> oh, look here. He was in the house, and they knew if they were going to get healing, they had to get inside the house where Jesus was. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know today, Jesus is not interested in being just present in your church or even prominent in your church. He is only interested in being preeminent in the church. And if he is anything less, it is misplaced. Somebody has took his place. Somebody's out of place. Somebody's out of their lane. Somebody needs to repent and get right with God because in this house, Jesus is the only preeminent being we have. Amen? Oh, but we got a domineering member in old Archelaus who wants to preempt. Notice something else about him. He was also a destructive manipulator. Verse 10. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. You know what John says? I'm going to call him out. <laughs> Jesus started the church the way he wanted it. He wants it back the way he started. There was some accountability there. He said, look here, here's what he does. He's prating against us with malicious words. It means he's plotting and he's using the poisonous tongue for evil. And he is not content with that. That's not enough for him. This guy is just unable to be satisfied. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. So here's what he's saying. Those who were receiving them as brethren were being targeted by Diotrephus because he was so po poised to be preeminent, he didn't want anything getting in his way. He was a destructive manipulator. Now, None of you would be that, I hope. <laughs> Remember years ago when I was a young preacher, I was at what they used to call the preacher's meetings. And it'd be, you know, it'd be a Friday night somewhere and there'd be 30, 40 preachers show up and they'd just flip a coin and call four or five from the floor and, and they just went up and hacked at it for about 10 minutes and, and then uh, after a couple of hours, it was over. <laughs> I'll never forget this guy preached one night. This was not his illustration. This was his message. He preached on the Tater family down at the Baptist church. The Tater family. He talked about the dictator. He talked about the spectator. He talked about the agitator. He talked about every tater you can think of. I mean, he went through several of them. And I remember thinking, boy, when I was seeing this, I thought, you know, I never thought I'd think about that again, but I thought... Here we got Odotrophus. He's some sort of manipulator. He functioned like a dictator. He was an agitator. And he couldn't stand any spectator. Amen? No, no, listen. He was not only a domineering member, but a destructive manipulator. But notice something else. He had a divisive mindset. It's right there in verse 10. He does not receive those. He forbids those who wish to receive us. Friend, I want you to know how important your thought life is. I want you to know the number one place that Satan will attack you and try to destroy you is by invading your thought life. If he can get you involved in stinking thinking, he can get you involved in stinking living. If he can attack what you think, and I'll tell you, it's a battle for all of us. I don't know if you've ever had this, but I know I have. There's times I've walked to the mirror, and I tell you, he'd say, you know what? You are so ugly. And then he would say, You are so fat. 
And then I would look at him and say, the Bible says you ain't nothing but a liar. Ain't no way, neither one of them's true, right? No, no. He might even attack you with a little bit of truth, but listen to me. He will attack you the way you feel about yourself, and he will attack you the way you feel about your brethren, and he will attack everything about you to where he can begin to control you, and if he can control your thought life, he can get you to behaving wrong. Get you talking to yourself wrong. Get you talking to your brethren wrong. Get your attitude all mixed up. Attitude is so very important and it is very important for the child of God. But I want you to notice with me in verse 12. Not just a living manifestation of truth. Not just a living misrepresentation of truth. But notice with me if you would a living magnification of the truth. Look at our third friend. Demetrius. You know, I found out all three of these names were very common in New Testament times. But I would encourage you, do not name your son Diotrephes, okay? Please don't. No. Demetrius, what's what I would say about him? Oh, here we go. He had a good testimony. He had a good testimony from a few of the brethren. Is that what the Bible says? No, I ain't what mine says he had a good testimony from all. Oh, that meant those that were a part of the fellowship and that meant even those beyond the fellowship. Listen here. He had a testimony from all and from the truth itself and we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. You know one thing I think about Demetrius, I think he lived a very passionate life. But do you know most people today in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm talking about professing believers, lack passion for truly Fulfilling their purpose on this earth. I read recently, not too long back, a couple of things of why people lack passion. Here's a few of them. This is not on the screen. This is free stuff. Won't cost you any extra for being here today. Okay, look here. Here's why people lose passion. One, they allow something precious to become familiar. I see husbands do this with their wives. I see wives do this with their husbands. I see them do this with their relationship with God. But something that used to be precious has become familiar. There's another reason, and that is because people who lack passion want acceptance and approval. But see, passion draws and repels people all at the same time. There are some of you that will be drawn with my passion for the gospel, my passion for preaching, but you're not going to believe this. There are people who are repelled by it. You're like, how in the world could that be? Such a nice old guy, right? Now look here. But there are, there are some people like, he needs to calm down. I, I, and there's some, he's too loud. He sweats too much. <laughs> I am not sitting on the first three rows because he's liable to spit on me. <laughs> Y'all ever been to SeaWorld? Shamu? Remember the splash zone? That's where y'all sit, right, okay? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't matter who you are. Some people won't like that you got short hair. Some people wouldn't like if you had long hair. Some people would want you to wear a jacket. Some people don't want you to. You know, some people this, some people that. I just really don't care. I don't get caught up in all that because I know that my number one uh, op obligation here today is not to be pleasing to the congregation but to be pleasing to the Christ who saved me. Amen? No, but some people lack passion because all they want to do is be accepted and approved by people that it should not matter. Remember last week I told you about the wanderers? 
<laughs> I wish y'all could have seen y'all's reaction to that. I told you, too many of you are wandering because you're following wanderers. You're following people who have no direction, purpose, and aimless in life, and you're following them around looking for direction and purpose in your life, and you never will by following people who are wandering around. You need to be following people who are following Jesus. <sighs> Another reason people lack passion is because our society is pretty passive when it comes to Christianity. <laughs> it's getting harder and harder to get Christians excited about spiritual things. I mean, I can talk to them about natural things, temporal things, secular things, and we get all fired up. What about spiritual things? Some people say, yeah, I preach. He just gets a little carried away sometimes. He needs to calm down. I read this. Malcolm Forbes said this. People who never get carried away should be. <laughs> oh, man, made me feel good because I get a little carried away. I heard old Phil, Phil Cross and Point Voices. You remember them, Marty? They used to sing this song, said, I'm going to let the glory roll when the roll is caught in glory. I'm going to get beside myself. When I stand beside the king that day, I'm going to have the time of my life. When the time of my life is over, I'm going to get carried away when I get carried away. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, there's a day of coming when I'm going to get carried away. All the saints of God are going to get carried away. But until then, I'm just going to practice up a little on this side and I'm going to get a little carried away about Jesus. You know why? Because he got carried away about me when he went to the cross and he took my sin and my shame and he bled and died for me because he loved me that much. He got carried away. So we not all apologize for getting carried away. <laughs> Help us. I've got so many more things I need to say, but I know y'all saying, Lord God, help us. Get us out of here. Listen. Let me just tell you real quickly about Demetrius. He was a man of commitment. He had real passion. That's just what I finished talking about. He was a man of courage. He knew what passion was. It was the fuel that fired his engine. He was a man of character. You know who he was? He was God's man even when nobody else was Let me close by talking about verse 13. You think, well, he's talking about those three, but those two lonely verses down at the bottom. We can't leave them out, can we, church? No, preacher, please don't leave those out. Please tell me what they say. I am so glad you asked, because I want to do that. Thank you for responding. Y'all gonna be like that lady I told you about last week. So we ain't never had a preacher like you. I said, yeah, ma'am, it shows too. <laughs> Listen to him. He said, I had many things to write. You know what? John's probably, I think when I get to heaven, me and John need to talk because I know we got a lot to talk about because he's like, so much more I want to write. But I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. You know what he was saying? This is good but it ain't the best. But I hope to see you shortly. And we shall speak face to face. Peace to you, our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. You know what he was saying? You know what really fires my engine? Is that I know I want to see you and I want to get to 
see you face to face and we're not just going to communicate with pen and ink but we're going to be able to behold each other's face and share each other's company and worship God together boy and that's something you might ask sometimes preacher like John like Paul like some of these we read about in scripture they kept a hot heart for God the duration of their Christian journey and some of you probably say preacher how do you do that do you ever feel sometimes, preacher, that the fire wants to burn a little low in the embers and you, and you need to, to fan, fan them a little bit? I mean, how, how after these many years can you keep your heart hot for God when you experience so many people like Diotrephes and so many people like Demetrius, Demetrius who was a blessing and Gaius who were a blessing, but so many like Diotrephes who were cancers to the church? i tell you the best way I can tell you how I've kept my fire hot how even when the devil tries to come at me and get in my thought life and tell me what I'm not I just have to remind him who God is but here's the best way to explain it. I was listening to Tony Evans this week I love that guy man. and he was talking about some of these things and he began talking about how God helps him stay hot and if you've ever listened much to Tony Evans preaching you're going to know he is a big fan of the temptations when he was growing up Baltimore, the temptations were the thing. He asked his church, he said, you know, who, who's my favorite group? And everybody's like, the temptations, brother. Woo! You know, they start cheering over the temptations. And he said, you remember that song that's their most popular song? Y'all you know it. What's the, what's the temptations? Most popular song? My girl, please. I, I asked one time about uh, Captain and Tennille, and Bobby said, Muscat Rat Love, whatever. <laughs> I was thinking, love will keep us together, you know, but anyhow, Muscat Love. But anyhow, I've not asked any more about Captain and Tennille since then. But uh, my girl, I got sunshine on a cloudy day when it's cold outside. I got the month of May. I guess you say, help me, brothers. What can make me feel this way? Oh, we having church in here now, anyway. <laughs> All right, guys. Think back to when you first met your sweetheart. When you first fell in love with your boogie woogie. I don't ever forget. Oh man, I'd had my little old heart broken. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna date no girls. I wasn't gonna give no girl no chance to hurt my little old heart again. But all of a sudden, the light shone forth, and I said, "Whoa, man!" God began to stir something in me. You know, and after a little short period of time, I mean. I had, I've had some gray clouds. You boys, you girls, ever had your little heart broke? Boy, that's some gray clouds out there, ain't it? Everywhere you go, it starts raining. Everything you do, the thunder and lightning shows up, and then all of a sudden, the sun starts to shine again. I can remember thinking, you know, God reused her to bring a lot of sunshine back to my life. And she's been a source of sunshine to me for almost 35 years. Once again, I know that's shocking to y'all. I don't look that up. But let's take it a step further.
God did bring my girl into my life and brought a lot of joy and still does today. But in a spiritual sense, what is it that keeps our fire going? Well, there may come a day like Brother Evans, his girl went to be with Jesus this past year. She's still very influential because of all the many years and the legacy of their children and grandchildren. But in a spiritual sense, you got to realize it's more than just my girl. It's my God. So if you ever wonder, man, Sawyer, this old Pastor Brent, he's a Bama guy, but man, he's got a hot heart for Jesus. Wonder how he keeps it. I want to tell you, it's because the devil. He tries hard to steal it. He tries hard to steal my joy, but he does your too. And I tell you what, because I guess you'd say, what makes me live this way? My God. Talking about my God. Ooh, ooh. Oh, hear me. There are going to be times you're going to run into the diatrophies of this life. I can give you a long list of them. I've met a lot of them. I've met their cousins. I've met their aunts and uncles. I've crossed state lines, and their cousins live here, and they live there. They have these changed their names and face. No, they're not named Archippus, but they carry out the catcher. You're going to encounter those. You know what they're going to try to do? Steal your joy. But what I want to encourage you to do today is to be a Gaius. Be a Demetrius. Be one who is an equipper. Be one who is an empathizer. Be one who is an encourager. Be one who adds to your church. Be one who adds to, to the life of your church. Not one who comes in and says, I'll tell you what. I ain't singing my song today. I am ticked. Y'all won't believe it happens. It doesn't matter to me. They say, well, I'll tell you why. He's preaching through this book. And he, if he preached, I was so tired of hearing about Colossians, I didn't know what I was going to do. But you need to be that member that comes in and says, oh, I am so unworthy to be here today. I can't believe you let me come back and be here in the house of worship. And again, God, I want you to use every person that sings and fill them with Holy Ghost fire. And God, help my preacher today. Help him. Oh, God, help him because we know of all of the distractions and all things. Help him to communicate the word of God. Help him to tell us about your word so lives will be changed and our church will touch the world for the glory of God. That's the kind of people, wouldn't it? That's what Gaius, you know, I bet if Gaius was a member here today, I bet he'd be like this. Preacher, flame getting a little low. Here's where Gaius would be. Fan him. No, no, preacher. So-and-so's in the ditch, and I got to get them out. Help me. Let's go get them. Hey, wait a minute, Gaius. They're trying to take you under. You know what? Gaius would be the guy that says, preacher, let's do whatever it takes to keep people from going and spending eternity in hell. Let's do whatever it takes. He wouldn't be worried about who was in charge. He wouldn't be worried about his title. He would just go around, and he'd pick up a towel he'd start washing feet God help us to be that kind of Christian pray with me Father in Jesus name
for your word today. I want to thank you for the testimony and the godly examples of men like Gaius and Demetrius. God, I want to thank you for the warnings that we'd be on guard. We'd have our eyes wide open and the eyes of our heart wide open against any attacks and that we would walk in truth. God, thank you that you let me come see your people face to face today. All this week, Lord, as we communed and as we walk together this week I remember sharing with you many times about how the events of the past few years have taught me fresh to never take for granted the assembling of the people of God thank you that I didn't have to communicate with them with just a video screen or through pen and paper as John did God, you allowed us to come behold each other face to face. God, I pray most that we've beheld your face, that we've seen your word fleshed out for us. And we're going to live here today committed to being the right kind of Christian kind of church member one who is pointing people to you I pray it in Jesus name my heads about eyes are closed we're about to stand for the invitation here's the invitation today God has spoken to your heart and you need all about your relationship with him one if you have no relationship and he's made you aware of that today I plead with you to come at the invitation let us share with you how much he loves you and all that it would take for you to establish a relationship with the Son of God today. To turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. If you're here today and you are a child of God and you say, boy, he's really messed with my thought life. Sometimes he gets me thinking wrong and if I'm not careful of translating to living wrong, I want to listen to me child of God my dear brother my sister in Christ I plead with you today to not just hold on and as old preachers say white knuckle the backs of the pews I plead with you to allow the spirit of God to remove all pride and all hindrances that you'd come gather maybe with a friend maybe a family member and just call on God today to help you God would choose to make this church a place for you to serve. We'd invite you to honor God with your decision today. Most of all, I just want you to know he loves you. And he wants to use you. Father, we commit this invitation to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand to our feet all across the house. As God speaks to your heart, would you honor him today? Marty, you lead us when you're ready.
guys are coming, uh, I want to encourage you, um, if you are interested in volunteering for um, Gridiron Day in any capacity, we need some greeters and some uh, folks to help set up and tear down and all that kind of stuff. It's not a long process, but we do have to put out chairs and then put them back up after it's over and all that kind of stuff. If you'd be interested in doing that, just take the perforated section off of your bulletin today and just give us your name, phone number, and just put Gridiron. And if you know uh, what you'd like to do, if you'd like to help set up or clean up or, or uh, you know, help be a greeter or whatever, just put that on your note also. You get a call this week or text, whichever way you'd prefer to uh, confirm that with you because it helps us so much. Our t church just comes together and does a great job with that. It's done quickly, but we just need to know who we kind of count on to be there to help with that. It's going to be a great time. We're looking forward to that. So as we give today, let's finish this month strong. I know it's July. June and July is usually pretty tough with uh, uh, travel and all those different things and keeping up with all the stuff we got going. But I tell you, it's also a very important time for ministry in the summer and then going into the school year. So your faithfulness to God is very important in all seasons and at all times. And I encourage you to never lose sight of that tithe is holy unto the Lord and uh, I just believe what he said if we'll trust him with it that he'd fill our barns up and we'd be looking for places to be greater blessings so uh, just remember that as you give today and trust that God is using it for great things and for his ultimate glory let's join our hearts together and ask God's blessings on our giving
before we go out today, I want to remind you of a couple of things. Of course, we're um, back uh, Wednesday, 6 o'clock for everybody, so don't forget that. I had the uh, privilege to spend a few hours with Kate last night. I drove four hours to spend two or three hours with her, and you'll just do that, won't you, daddies? Amen. To see those girls, and they were having a youth conference at their church, much like what we do for Gridiron Day, kind of their version of that. So proud to see them serving, and she was so excited. And when Kate was a little girl, her favorite thing to do in the years we served in Waco, Georgia, was the first Saturday after Labor Day every year was the Waco Fest. She would be so pumped up, she couldn't go to sleep on that Friday night. She'd be up at 4.30 in the morning wanting to go help the lady cook breakfast. And her favorite event of the whole day was the bubble blowing contest. And she, she was the champion bubble blower in Waco, so that's something to be thankful for, right? But uh, anyhow, so she uh, uh, spent time just so excited to see them serving. And like I said, when your children walk in truth, I know what John was talking about. It's not just your children, your biological children, but your spiritual children. So as you go walk in truth this week and you make a be a blessing to our community, to the people around you, it brings great joy to my heart. It's kind of like a guy told me, one of the most frustrating things to do, you ever go to the restroom at a store, restaurant, or the movie theater, and you have to go buy about three dispensers before you find any soap? Anybody? If y'all are like me, you know, big guy, big hands, whatever, we try to get between one of those sinks that's got one on each side. We're going, you know, get us a good handful. Am I the only person who does that? Okay, I'm the reason they're empty because there's not enough everybody. But isn't it frustrating to go up and hit it two, three, and you, and you go to another one and and there's no soap and it's you know it's hard to wash your hands with water. I'm sure it's not killing any of this stuff that's flying around out here now. Well, I want you to think about that this week as you go out. There are people looking to find the cleansing fountain for their heart, mind, and soul, and you need to be a full dispenser. You don't want to be the dispenser when they come bump your life. There's nothing coming out. Because in order for soap to come out, soap's got to be in. In order for you to give out this week, you've got to take in. So here's what I pray is happening. I pray your heart's been encouraged and you've been refired and refueled by being in worship day, okay? Now, it won't be enough to get you all week long. You're going to have to get in the Word. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to seek the face of God because you've got to stay full because here's what... The world's going to do. They're going to poke holes in you with all those fiery darts of Satan. They're going to come after your soft spots in your armor. But make sure you stay full so you give out and that no thirsty soul would ever come to you and not be able to find the answer of living water. Amen? I want you to remember that this week and remember that very much. I was with, where's my buddy Noah? He's up in the balcony. Was band count lunch of the day? Told the band before we left, we said, make sure they knew about Gridiron Day and thank them for letting us be here. And I said, uh, I tell our churches every week, and I want y'all to know we feel this way about y'all. Noah, what, Noah, Noah told them for me. Go ahead, Noah. Oh, God loves you and I love you, Mary. There ain't a thing you know about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Noah, about me. So Noah, if I if I ever get where I can't speak, I need you to be my mouthpiece. All right? But uh, he helped me. You know what a blessing that is for a pastor to go into the public school and to their, to their teams and their bands and have guys who come in here every week and say, well, I know what he's going to say because, you know, look here, you know what I think Noah knows? Noah knew those weren't just words from my mouth, were they? That was a real attitude of my heart. I do love you, and there's nothing, there ain't a thing you can do about it. Amen. <laughs> hey, there ain't 
ain't not nothing you can do about it. Amen. Stand with us. Marty's going to sing us out, and I'll see you out front.